0: It was a quiet weekday night in North Beach, San Francisco. John had just gotten off of work and planned to enjoy a few beers at a bar near the pier before heading home to call it a
1: night. He sipped his drink and contemplated ordering a meal when he spotted a newspaper on the stool beside him. Sensationalized headlines of the great space race and Americans fear brain warfare were enough to ruin anyone's appetite.
0: Instead, He turned his gaze toward a beautiful brunette at the other end of the bar. She gave him a small, coy smile before scooting closer and asking him his name.
1: After some casual banter, the woman asked John if he was lonely. Perhaps he wanted to come back to her place for a few hours, for a small price, of course.
0: Looking for an escape from reality, John complied. He paid his tab and followed the woman back to her apartment just a few blocks away. He glanced at the address, 225 Chestnut
1: Street, on his way inside. The two flirted while the woman made John a drink in her large apartment. He was captivated by the gorgeous views of the bay. He didn't notice when the woman took out a small vial of white powder and sprinkled some on top of his whiskey. She handed it to him and John took a large, trusting swig.
0: It wasn't long before the room around John started to change. The colors of the walls became so vibrant that John thought he could taste them. The woman's words were so soft that they began to envelop him in a warm blanket.
1: The drugs were already kicking in. The woman started removing John's clothes and kissing him all over his body. He had gotten what he came for, and maybe even a little bit extra.
0: But what he didn't know was that on the other side of that wall sat three CIA agents watching everything as they sipped martinis and took notes. John had just become another one of the many non-consenting guinea pigs in the CIA's top secret mind control program known today as MKUltra. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar.
1: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.
0: This is our first episode on MKUltra, a government-run program that operated in secrecy from 1953 until around 1973. The project, which consisted of hundreds of clandestine experiments, began as a reaction to the Cold War, the objective to perfect mind control and master psychological warfare.
1: This week, we'll explore the official, now declassified, story on MK Ultra itself. We'll take a look at how the project originated and the experiments that were performed overseas as well as in the US. We'll also learn about the man who kept it all a secret, Dr. Sidney Gottlieb.
0: Next week, we'll explore a few conspiracy theories that suggest we don't know the whole story of MKUltra. It's possible the government is still covering up details from Sidney Gottlieb's dark operation, including the murder of one MKUltra employee. Some also strongly believe that MKUltra is still thriving behind closed doors, pushing the envelope even today.
1: by the end of World War II in 1945, the United States and the USSR had become allies. Their cooperation had been essential in the defeat of Nazi Germany and the Axis powers.
0: But the United States had their doubts about the Soviet nation and Joseph Stalin's tyrannical influence over his people. The U.S. was terrified that Russia's expansionism
1: would lead to communist leadership conquering the world. At the same time, The USSR harbored resentments for the U.S.'s delayed entry into the Second World War effort, a response that resulted in the deaths of millions of Russian soldiers.
0: By the time the late 1940s rolled around, both sides were extremely powerful and mutually distrusting. But neither one planned to start another war by fighting directly. Instead, they resorted to a 40-year face-off known as the Cold War.
1: So, no, they didn't drop bombs or march past enemy lines. Instead, the arms race began as the two countries advanced their atomic weaponry and swore they weren't going to use it. Each nation challenged the other in an effort to prove who was the best, a contest that also extended into a race towards the moon. But back on Earth, paranoia began to simmer in Hollywood.
0: Over 100 writers, producers, and actors were blacklisted from the film industry under suspicions that they might be communists peddling propaganda.
1: Some were
0: even accused of being spies.
1: And now that mindset was running rampant throughout the nation. Housewives began to worry that their neighbors were going through their trash. Businessmen were afraid they were being bugged. Everyone was certain that they, too, were being stalked by the Kremlin.
0: Civilians became certain that something even more terrifying was going on. Something dangerously out of their control. They believed the enemy had been using mind control.
1: Rumors spread about American prisoners of war returning as mindless drones now spouting communist propaganda. Newspaper headlines sensationalized the paranoia with claims like new evils seen in brainwashing and brainwashing versus Western psychiatry. Soon, people were certain these weren't just rumors. Every citizen was at risk of Soviet mind control.
0: The news gave a twisted sense of comfort to some Americans. At least now, they knew the reason for the Soviet swift rise to power. But the question was, could they ever be stopped?
1: Then, on February 3rd, 1949, News reached the United States about a Hungarian cardinal named Josef Menzanti, who was being brought to trial. The cardinal had been arrested on sensational charges of treason, conspiracy, and other offenses against Hungary. He had been a public critic of the new communist government, but had shown no sign of being an active rebel.
0: But when the Cardinal arrived in court that February afternoon, he appeared to have been tortured and had completely changed his tune. He confessed to the outlandish charges, even admitting to trying to overthrow the Hungarian government.
1: No one could explain why the Cardinal had made the sudden 180, but the Central Intelligence Agency, who had been monitoring the case, picked up on something the public did not. They were shocked and fascinated by the way the Cardinal was acting during the trial.
0: He seemed to speak in a monotone, confessing to outlandish crimes he certainly didn't commit. Had this powerful Hungarian figure, a man of God, been brainwashed by the Soviets? Despite there being zero evidence, the CIA was certain this was the
1: case. It was in 1949, shortly after the Cardinal's trial, that L. Wilson Green, director at the U.S. Army Chemical Corps, was tipped off to a series of clinical trials being done in Switzerland. Dr. Albert Hoffman, a scientist at the Sandoz Pharmaceutical Laboratories, had recently discovered a dangerous new biological material, a substance that would go on to be the quietest weapon in the entire Cold War.
0: Dr. Hoffman was experimenting with an ergot enzyme found naturally in a fungus that grows on rye and other grains. Hoffman tested the enzyme on himself in an effort to discover a cure for poor blood circulation.
1: But after consuming the test matter himself, he was overcome with a spell of dizziness Followed by, quote, an uninterrupted stream of fantastic images of extraordinary plasticity and vividness, accompanied by an intense kaleidoscope like play of colors. Dr. Hoffman had inadvertently discovered the hallucinogenic drug known as LSD. Back in Washington, Green began to assemble a report based on Hoffman's findings. He saw value in Hoffman's work that he thought could be brought into matters of national security. He titled that document, Psychochemical Warfare, A New Concept of War, and then pitched his proposal to other departments.
0: But Green wasn't proposing new bombs or new funding for artillery. He was suggesting that the government begin testing the newly discovered LSD, mescaline, and a series of other hallucinatory drugs. He had plans to weaponize them.
1: Ultimately, Green had the general public's best interest in mind. His report included an excerpt claiming, "...I am convinced that it is possible, by means of the techniques of psychochemical warfare, to conquer an enemy without the wholesale killing of his people and the mass destruction of his property."
0: From there, Green's proposal was passed up the chain. Everyone that read it was intrigued by the possibility, and it made it all the way to President Truman he quickly approved it. Like everyone else, he saw potential in this program and its goals.
1: And as for those goals, loosen some tongues, break the typical barriers of human perception, and manipulate the enemies into giving up their most clandestine information. So,
0: in 1950, the CIA was ordered to work alongside the chemists of the Special Operations Division at Fort Detrick, Maryland. While special ops had the ability to synthesize drugs, they didn't have the authority to test them. This was where the CIA came in.
1: This joint program came to be known as MK-Naomi and had a wide scope. But for the CIA, the biggest concern was cracking the secrets to mind control. And in April of 1950, the director of the CIA Roscoe Hillencotter decided it was time to up their game.
0: Hillencotter created a project referred to as Project Bluebird. According to Stephen Kinzer's book, Poisoner in Chief, the operation was inspired by their main objective, getting their prisoners to sing like a bird. Their primary focus was to study a variety of interrogation techniques, Mind-controlling drugs were just one part.
1: Then, in October of 1950, a new director of the CIA, General Walter Bedell Smith, took over. He appointed a former spy by the name of Alan Dulles to be his deputy director of plans and placed him at the helm of Project Bluebird.
0: Dulles, who had spent World War II stationed in Switzerland, met and became an admirer of famed psychiatrist Carl Jung. Through his research on Jung, Dulles became obsessed with ways to manipulate the psyche. So, as you can imagine, he was beyond excited to be involved in the CIA's current mind control program.
1: Dulles's fascination was perpetuated by his idea that the U.S. was falling behind in the race against the Soviets. If they were to compete with the Kremlin, then America had to toughen up. So Dulles decided to ramp up Project Bluebird even further. Just
0: outside the city of Oberuzel, Germany, the United States Army was housing a small interrogation site known as Camp King. The base was still home to dozens of Nazis and German war prisoners, which meant it was fully stocked with test subjects they could abuse in the name of science.
1: The only problem was even Camp King wasn't secret enough for the CIA to run these Special interrogations, as they began calling them. So they set up a facility just outside of Camp King, where they could transport the prisoner quietly for experimentation.
0: The facility became a safe haven that maintained the secrecy of the US Army. But to the prisoners, it was a death sentence.
1: Prisoners from Camp King would be injected with depressants that had hypnotic effects. At the same time, operatives would issue them potent stimulants. These drugs would attack their lungs and nervous system, resulting in seizures and loss of breath.
0: When the prisoners were at their weakest, the CIA would begin testing their variety of techniques. Hypnosis electroshock therapy, and sensory deprivation.
1: But they weren't just trying to break these prisoners of war down. They were also trying to alter personalities, turn unwilling subjects into willing agents. If they could do this, they might be able to get the captives to hand over scientific formulas and plans. However, the CIA's over-eagerness was a problem. Their objectives were far too broad and too ambitious to produce the results they wanted. They needed to concentrate on one particular area of study.
0: Dulles saw that the project needed to focus, change their approach. Currently, the operation was lacking someone with a scientific background who understood the scope of these objectives. Someone that would help them realize whether these ambitions were even a reality.
1: But Dulles insisted that this person needed to come from outside of the CIA. There wasn't anyone who fit the bill that was already in-house. They needed a chemist, an antagonist, someone who was willing to break boundaries and take risks for the good of his nation. They had to find a civilian who was willing to ruin people's lives.
0: Coming up, Dr. Sidney Gottlieb joins Project Bluebird and drives the operation off the rails, giving birth to the omnipotent MKUltra. And now, back to the story.
1: By 1951... The CIA's mind control project, known as Project Bluebird, was operating out of prison camps in both Germany and Japan. At these top-secret locations, operatives were using special interrogation techniques like hypnosis and electroshock therapy to get their prisoners of war to offer up state secrets.
0: There was only one problem. The operation was producing little to no results. Alan Dulles, the deputy director of plans for the CIA, decided to look outside of the agency to find someone with the appropriate background. He needed to find a man without a moral compass who would be willing to risk their credentials and give their life to the operation. This man was Dr. Sidney Gottlieb.
1: Dr. Gottlieb reported for his first day of work at the Central Intelligence offices in Washington, D.C., on a warm July morning in 1951.
0: When he pushed through those oversized glass doors, he brought grave uncertainty. The doctor barely knew why he was there. All he'd been told was that he would be supervising a new unit, and Gottlieb never was one to turn down a good challenge. But what he didn't realize was that he would be leading the CIA's ultimate quest for the holy grail of truth. Or rather, the drugs that would induce
1: that truth. Gottlieb was carefully handpicked from a dense catalog of options. He had excellent credentials, like his Ph.D. in chemistry from the California Institute of Technology, and his extracurriculars, which included meditating, raising goats, and writing poetry— made him stand out amongst the other candidates. Dulles felt he was the perfect fit for this offbeat program.
0: Upon his briefing, Gottlieb spoke to the CIA psychologist about his separation from Judaism and his search for life's meaning outside the realm of religion. This was the kind of thing Dulles was hoping to hear. Gottlieb was quickly appointed chief of the chemical division of the technical services staff. He committed to a six-month contract. Gottlieb was now responsible for developing the newest tools in the espionage game.
1: Also new? The name. Dulles decided to rename the operation Project Artichoke in an effort to start fresh. In August of 1951, Dulles was promoted to the second most important position in the CIA, Deputy Director. This ensured that his mind control programs would remain well-funded and well-protected.
0: But now that he had Gottlieb, it was time to crank things up. It quickly became apparent that Project Artichoke would be far more detailed and intense than its
1: bluebird predecessor. Operatives were ordered to not only continue carrying out their special interrogations in safe houses, but they were also told to start recording the experiment. The idea was that other operatives could learn from the experiment secondhand. However, it was also a handicap. The government now had concrete evidence that they needed to protect. If these tapes ever leaked, it could mean the end of the project and possibly the CIA entirely.
0: But this didn't concern the agency. Aside from the camps in Germany and Japan, they decided to open a new location in Panama in 1951, despite the fact that they hadn't gotten anywhere.
1: Dulles didn't care. He was swimming in a pool of his own lies. He and his fellow operatives had done a great job of convincing themselves that the Soviets had already perfected these mind control techniques, meaning there had to be a way that America could perfect them too. He was not about to give up.
0: In fact, the new deputy director of the CIA was desperate for results. He encouraged Gottlieb, as well as his department heads, to work harder and faster. One of Project Bluebird's first directors was a man named Morse Allen. Morse was known as the project's hypnosis specialist. He also pressed for the use of his electro-sleep machine, which stimulated the brain with a low-intensity current and was designed
1: to lull subjects into
0: a trance.
1: For this project, Morse was known to spend time in New York working with a stage hypnotist. This professional reportedly even taught Morse how to lull women into a hypnotic trance in case he wanted a chance to sleep with them.
0: Morse even decided to test these new hypnosis skills on some of the secretaries back at the CIA offices. Allegedly, his tricks worked on the women, who began behaving out of the ordinary. At one point, they started revealing secrets and flirting on command.
1: While it appeared that hypnosis did have a substantial effect on unwitting participants, Morse's electro-sleep machine wasn't doing the trick. Gottlieb and Dulles stopped taking the machine seriously, and much of Morris' work was disregarded. Instead, they were convinced that the answers lay in some sort of psychoactive drug. An infallible truth serum that would unlock the keys to beating the Soviets.
0: Gottlieb turned to the exploration of psychopharmacology, or the study of how drugs affect a person's mood, sensations, thinking, and behavior. He knew about the CIA's previous research into the active ingredient in marijuana known as tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC. But the results were nothing more than an elevated state of relaxation, the antithesis
1: of what they were looking for. The CIA then began experimenting with dosing people with mental illnesses with cocaine. While they found that cocaine did cause bouts of free and thoughtless speech, they didn't feel like it was consistent enough to be used in their special interrogations. Then there was heroin and mescaline, but the results of those drugs were also too unpredictable.
0: Gottlieb didn't care how barbaric these studies had become. After all, This was a matter of national security, and he needed something consistent, something that could be used every time and without fail. He decided to reach out to the man who originated the CIA's mind control operation,
1: Dr. L. Wilson Green. While Green's vision was carried out in Project Bluebird, the study of LSD had fallen by the wayside during Project Artichoke. So when Gottlieb made contact with Green, who was still working for the Chemical Corps, Green was thrilled to dig out his research and bring the study's focus back to the effects of LSD.
0: Gottlieb decided to start by testing the effects of the drug on himself. At the end of 1951, Gottlieb asked Harold Abramson, one of the few scientists who had worked with LSD earlier in the operation to guide him along his first trip.
1: Gottlieb had an overwhelming but euphoric experience on the drug. He became convinced this might be the solution to all of Project Artichoke's problems. As a result, he quickly decided to accelerate the use of LSD throughout the program
0: he opened up testing to volunteers, most of which were CIA operatives and chemists from the Special Operations Division.
1: And they didn't just try it once. They tried it multiple times. Sometimes the volunteers knew when they'd been drugged. Other times it came as a complete surprise. But it was all done in the name of scientific research.
0: Gottlieb later admitted that there was an extensive amount of self-experimentation, We felt that first-hand knowledge of the subjective effects of these drugs was important to those of us who were involved in the program.
1: And just like all the other drugs they'd experimented with before, LSD caused the subjects to have varying reactions. Some became docile, less inhibited, but others imagined themselves as superheroes, acting rebellious and uncooperative. Some even suffered from violent, paranoid breakdowns
0: despite the fact that this drug, too, was inconsistent, operatives of Project Artichoke were excited about the prospect. So excited that they took LSD to the prisons in Germany. If Gottlieb's enthusiasm was any indication, this could be
1: the answer to all of their problems. But instead, they found the same results as before. LSD was not the truth serum they were looking for, but Gottlieb didn't care. He remained adamant that the drug had potential to unlock hidden parts of the brain and gather the secrets they were hoping for.
0: After 18 months in the program, Gottlieb had come up with no concrete evidence that hallucinogenic drugs could be used for brainwashing and mind control. But as long as he was receiving funding and collecting a paycheck...
1: Gottlieb was going to remain persistent. On February 26, 1953, Alan Dulles was appointed the new director of the CIA. And as the top dog, Dulles would see to it that the mind control program carried on full steam ahead.
0: Gottlieb saw this
1: change of regime
0: as a wonderful opportunity to take more liberties with the program. He began working on a new memorandum that proposed the CIA launch a whole new, far more expansive operation on mind control.
1: Project Artichoke was already one of the most abhorrent and morally abusive projects sponsored by the US government. But now in a position of absolute power, Director Dulles was happy to amplify it.
0: On April 13, 1953, Dulles approved Gottlieb's proposal. As a result, Gottlieb was granted $300,000, which is close to $3 million today, as well as permission to launch his research experiments at his own discretion. From here, a new code name was given to the project, MKUltra.
1: Coming up things take a dark turn for Gottlieb's MK-Ultra operation. Soon it became less like a covert government program and more like a members-only fraternity club.
0: Now, back to the story.
1: By the fall of 1953... Dr. Sidney Gottlieb was in full control of the CIA's MK-Ultra project and required no permission to test LSD on whoever he saw fit.
0: Gottlieb began distributing LSD to hospitals and medical schools in the U.S. for controlled experimentation, but he didn't stop there. Gottlieb was determined to get a better idea of how ordinary people would respond to LSD. So, he decided to take a huge risk by opening what he referred to as a safe house right in the middle of New York City.
1: While it was never confirmed how much CIA Director Alan Dulles knew about these safe houses, we can safely assume that he turned a blind eye. The man Gottlieb
0: placed in charge of this safe house operation was former narcotics detective turned CIA operative George Hunter White. White's job? Lull unsuspecting visitors to the safe house in Greenwich Village and dose them with LSD. And oh yeah, record the results so that it remained a proper study.
1: Somehow Gottlieb had found someone as reckless and morally corrupt as he was. White followed orders and scoured the streets of New York City. He was looking for existing drug users, small-time criminals, and other dishonorable candidates that could be lured back to the safe house, all in an effort to fight communism.
0: By the fall of 1953, White began posing as a starving artist by the name of Morgan Hall, Now, White wasn't only bringing back strangers to party with him at the safe house. He also brought back friends and women he wanted to flirt with. They, too, were laced with LSD as scientists watched and recorded their conversations in the name
1: of science. But in November of that year, things took a dark turn for the operation. A 43-year-old bacteriologist named Frank Olson, along with eight other employees were invited to a work retreat at deep creek lake maryland olson had heard about the retreats gottlieb had hosted
0: but he never expected to be invited to one all he knew was that they were a get to know each other event between cia scientists the technical services staff and the special ops division all of whom operated under gottlieb and mk ultra
1: the second night of the retreat the group which included olson settled in for dinner and drinks an hour or so into the meal olsen and the others began hallucinating having a difficult time separating fantasy from reality it was then that gottlieb informed his guests with a coy little smile that he had laced their drinks with lsd needless to say the attendees were less than
0: pleased to have become guinea pigs in their own experiment but Olson was particularly irate. Unfortunately, by then, there was nothing he could do. He was trapped on an acid trip with his co workers for the next 12 hours.
1: But Olson stuck it out at the retreat, keeping his head down, and went back to work on the following Monday, as if nothing had happened. When he returned home after the weekend, he told his wife that he had made a terrible mistake and hinted that he was considering quitting his job.
0: Less than two weeks later, Frank Olson plunged to his death from a 10-story window in New York City. People screamed at the sight of his body, which now lay face up outside the Statler Hotel across from Pennsylvania Station.
1: Olson's death was ruled a suicide? evidence would later surface to suggest otherwise. Was this just a delayed reaction from the LSD, or was it possible that Frank Olson threatened to blow the whistle and Sidney Gottlieb needed to protect his secrets?
0: Regardless, the CIA quietly dealt with Olson's death and Gottlieb had more pressing matters on his mind. In 1955, Gottlieb's right-hand man, George Hunter White, was offered a better opportunity for a high-paying position at the Federal Bureau of Narcotics in San Francisco. This would take him away from their safehouse operation in New York. White felt torn.
1: But Gottlieb made the decision easy. He told White to take the position in San Francisco and open up a safehouse there. Under the heading of MKUltra, this operation would be referred to as Subproject 42, otherwise known as Operation Midnight Climax.
0: The terms and conditions for the safe house in North Beach, a bayside neighborhood in San Francisco, were essentially the same as they were back in New York. Lull unsuspecting visitors back to the safe house and laced them with LSD. But Gottlieb wanted to take things a step further, He wanted to see if he could loosen a man's tongue once LSD and sex got involved.
1: So, after securing the site of their operation, White got to work. One of his first tasks was to assemble a team of sex workers who would be willing to lure their clients back to the apartment at 225 Chestnut Street.
0: The pad, as it was referred to, was a large L-shaped apartment with stunning views of the bay. Quite an upgrade from the small Greenwich apartment they were working in before.
1: White recruited a friend to install surveillance equipment, including cameras and microphones throughout the location. According to Stephen Kinzer's book, Poisoner in Chief, one operative claimed that the place was so wired that if you spilled a glass of water, you'd probably electrocute yourself.
0: But those wires had been carefully concealed with vulgar art. The drawers were piled with sex toys, the shelves filled with pornographic videos and magazines. Not to mention, the mini bar was always stocked.
1: As an additional bonus, each woman was given a stipend of $50 to $100 for each unwitting lab rat they brought back to the apartment. White also promised each sex worker a get-out-of-jail-free card in case she ever found herself in trouble with the local police.
0: Once they were settled into the pad, the woman would either offer the man drugs or slip them unsuspectingly to the client.
1: But there, on the other side of that wall, White would sit upon his small portable toilet, the only piece of furniture he had aside from his surveillance equipment. He watched on, taking notes and sipping martinis as the couple carried out the deed just a few feet away. Gottlieb had White instruct these sex workers to stay
0: and talk with their clients after they were done having sex. They found that when the sex workers took an interest in the man's life, it offered a boost to his confidence. He was then more willing to talk about his secrets, both personal and professional.
1: And these were exactly the results that Gottlieb and his project had been hoping for the past four years. Tongues were finally beginning to loosen. Gottlieb was thrilled with the developments at Operation Midnight Climax, so he opened another safe house only 36 miles away in Marin County a year later in 1956.
0: If the experiments weren't already getting out of control, they were certainly spiraling now. Gottlieb began concocting all types of synthetic drugs for the program—some that operatives themselves were too scared to try. While it's unclear exactly what those substances were, we do know that Gottlieb sent them to the safe house to be tested on unwitting victims.
1: Soon, Gottlieb wanted to know what would happen if he dosed an entire room full of people with LSD. He placed the drugs in an aerosol can and shipped it off to White, who had intended to distribute the drugs through a vent. Fortunately for the subjects, an open window on a windy day rendered the experiment ineffective. Gottlieb made frequent visits to San Francisco that
0: appeared to be anything but business-related. Operation Midnight Climax became his playground, where Gottlieb took full advantage of the free drugs and rotating door of sex workers. It appeared as if Sidney Gottlieb had lost sight completely of his initial goal, to defeat the Soviets. One of White's co-workers even recalled, all Gottlieb wants me to do is get him laid.
1: Gottlieb's efforts to perfect his special interrogations didn't end with Operation Midnight Climax. He was also running dozens of sub-projects all over the country, all equally corrupt. If any of them were to go public, it could soil the CIA's reputation permanently. In one
0: MKUltra offshoot, Gottlieb would send prison doctors LSD to test on their inmates. In exchange, the prisoners were promised provisions, better cells, and better prison jobs. For lack of a better word, it was bribery.
1: One doctor, Carl Pfeiffer, had been in charge of administering drugs to inmates at a federal prison in Atlanta. He claimed the study was to show how depressant drugs might alter someone's psyche. This, of course, included drugs like LSD. One of Pfeiffer's subjects in the study was none other than the notorious Boston gangster, Whitey Bulger. Once a week, Bulger would be locked in a secure
0: room in the prison's basement. Bulger would be injected with an unknown substance and remain under watch for the next 24 hours. All with the promise of getting out early on good behavior.
1: Bulger claimed that after the tests, he felt severely depressed, suicidal even. He tried to quit the project more than once, but Dr. Pfeiffer pleaded with Bulger, telling him he was his best patient yet.
0: Bulger was never once told that he was given LSD, nor did his participation in the study help reduce his sentencing. Instead, Bulger went on to be transferred to Alcatraz Penitentiary in San Francisco under maximum security. While it's never been confirmed, It's possible the CIA had something to do with his relocation.
1: Like Whitey Bulger, Gottlieb too was hitting some all-time lows. He had accomplished nothing, poisoned hundreds, maybe even thousands, and wasn't any closer to achieving his goal. Gottlieb drafted a memo in 1960 nine years after he started that suggested he was beginning to give up on the prospect of ever perfecting his mind control experiments. The report stated, as of 1960, no effective knockout pill, truth serum, aphrodisiac, or recruitment pill was known to exist.
0: Gottlieb was forced to admit to himself that his operation had been done in vain. Then in 1961. A new director of the CIA, John McCone, replaced Alan Dulles and the final nails were pinned to Gottlieb's coffin. Funding was massively cut back and McCone did his best to curtail what remained of the MKUltra sub-projects.
1: The LSD tests slowly started to fade away and by 1966, Gottlieb's safe houses were closed down for good. After 15 years, Sidney Gottlieb was forced to walk away from the program with his tail between his legs. If the Soviets had actually perfected mind control, they had done a wonderful job of keeping their methods under heavy lock and key. And Gottlieb got nowhere close to cracking the code.
0: But he did manage to convince McCone that the operation should remain highly classified, only available to those with a top-secret clearance. McCone reluctantly agreed. It was probably in the government's best interest to comply with Gottlieb's demand after hearing about the damage he had done.
1: But even then, McCone had his inspector general investigate MK Ultra to gain a better understanding of what it was they were trying to hide. Despite their
0: best efforts, Gottlieb's secrets wouldn't be locked away forever. In 1974, a journalist by the name of Seymour Hersh began to expose the CIA's former misconduct. He had been tipped off to their illegal spying on American citizens and published his findings.
1: Then, in 1975, the Olson family contacted Hersh to let him know there was more to the story, including non-consensual LSD experiments leading to Frank Olson's murder. Now, America's top secret mind control project was brought out into the harsh spotlight, warts and all.
0: Gottlieb was on vacation with his wife in India in 1975 when he received news that he was being investigated for assassination plots, including the death of Frank Olson. Gottlieb cooperated with the investigation and in turn was granted immunity he confessed to his crimes, but somehow Frank Olson's death still remained
1: inconclusive. Two years later, a congressional hearing began to question the actions of the MK Ultra project. Congress called in ex-CIA operatives, chemists, and scientists, but each witness was well coached.
0: And Congress kept getting stonewalled. Each person that took the stand pled they didn't remember what had happened, how many people were involved, or what damage they had done. Congress was unable to cross-check any of their statements. Gottlieb had been sure to cover up his tracks; he destroyed hundreds of thousands of materials that incriminated the project.
1: This destruction of files led to another investigation, this time done by the Justice Department in 1976. But a few months later, the investigation was quietly dropped, according to one New York Times article.
0: Any charges that might have been brought against the program or its supervisors slowly faded into the night. Dr. Sidney Gottlieb had managed to walk away from MKUltra with spotless hands. ¶¶
1: Dr. Gottlieb's execution of the MK Ultra operation was anything but a heroic act of patriotism. But there are plenty of counterculture icons that believe Dr. Gottlieb was the pioneer of the LSD movement.
0: Even John Lennon paid homage to the CIA, saying they invented LSD to control people, and what they did was give us freedom. But some might argue that celebrities like the Beatles are actually living, breathing proof that the MKUltra program had actually perfected mind control and might even be using it on these celebrities today.
1: So is it possible that MKUltra went on to do much, much more than test LSD on unwitting victims? Perhaps there were other offshoots of MKUltra that thrived well beyond Gottlieb's time on the throne. In fact, Some conspiracy theorists believe that this is exactly the case.
0: Next week, we'll take a look at three of the most interesting conspiracy theories about the MKUltra program. The first theory? Frank Olson might not have committed suicide after all, and instead was pushed from that 10-story window by another member of the CIA all in an effort to protect the operation's darker
1: secrets. For our second conspiracy theory, we'll uncover a secret subproject called Project Monarch. This theory suggests that NK Ultra was also performing demonic experiments on young children. This theory even went on to inspire the television series Stranger Things.
0: For our third and final conspiracy, We'll explore the idea that MKUltra may still be thriving today. It's possible the operation did perfect mind control, and the government might still be using it.
1: And our favorite celebrities might be their unwitting victims.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. For more information on MKUltra, amongst the many sources we used, we found Poisoner in Chief, written by Stephen Kinzer, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Parcast Originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To
0: stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify,
1: just open the app, tap Browse, and
0: type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar.
1: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
0: And the official story isn't always the truth.
1: Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Lori Gottlieb with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.